me invite you to take your Bibles and open up to John chapter 10. We're actually at the end of our focus on the Jesus I never knew. We've spent since early summer going in-depth into the life of Jesus from the Scriptures. We believe the Bible tells us everything we need to know about Jesus, and we have endeavored to not be content with what we've already learned about Jesus, but to be pressing into those things so that we can experience him more fully and that our relationship with him may grow more deeply. And so we're going back, John chapter 10 this morning, to one aspect of Jesus we talked about just a few weeks ago, but really comes into play today because today this word that I want to bring is a challenge for our elders, our deacons, our brand new deacons, but it's also for you as the congregation. I don't want you to think because I'm I'm using a, a leadership sermon today that you get to check out. You don't. You actually need to be as focused as ever, and here's why. Because you're responsible for good leadership. You are as a congregation. You're responsible to help raise up the next generation of great leaders, whether it's in Sunday school or children's ministry or youth ministry, young adults program. You're responsible for that. We do that together. And then also, you, you pray, you seek the Lord, you seek His will over the people that God should raise up to lead this congregation. You pray for them on a regular basis to make sure that the enemy is, when he comes against them, they're able to stand and be faithful and to lead us into the places that God calls us. But not just that, you have the responsibility to elect your elders and deacons. And you did that just a few weeks ago. You had a chance to do that. You have a chance to pray over those things. And so what we want to understand is, as a congregation, we want to keep the standard for leadership high. We don't want to lower it. The world has a low standard for leaders. If you're not paying attention right now, we're in a leadership desert right now in our culture. Whether it's in our politics or whether it's in our school systems or whether it's wherever it is, we need more good leaders than we have. We need more good leaders. And unfortunately, in so many churches... That's absolutely true of the body of Christ as well. Just a a failure of good leadership. But I want to say this to you as your pastor. One of the biggest blessings of my life. I've been your pastor for 13 years. I've been on staff for 15 years at Trinity. This is easily the biggest blessing that I've had at Trinity. Of everything that you've done for me. Of all you've given to me and my family. Here's the number one blessing. You have always provided good, healthy leaders for me to serve under and alongside. It's astounding to me. As a member of our presbytery, I was asked a few years ago to serve on one of the committees, and here was our job. We need you to go into churches that have problems, and we need you to straighten out their problems. And then I was like, why did I sign up for this? And if you're not straightening out problems within a church, then you're having to straighten out problems with ministers that have had some moral or integrity failure. And so month after month, week after week, I would get emails and take phone calls and go into churches, and we would sit and pray and we'd talk in churches that were struggling because some group of leaders were struggling in their leadership, or maybe they had tried to take control and move the church in a certain direction, or they were fighting and arguing with the pastor, or maybe the pastor had blown it, and they're trying to recover from that. It was the hardest part of my ministry by far for eight years. And here's the only way I was able to do it. You ready? The only way I was able to do that for eight years is because I could come back here on Sunday morning, and I knew our leadership was nothing like that. 
Because I tell you, there's no way I could go into somebody else's church and solve their leadership problems if I was coming back here and I was having arguments with our elders in the parking lot or I walk in on Sunday morning and a deacon won't look me in the face because we're mad at each other or whatever else it is. We have just not had that by God's grace at Trinity since I've been here. But I want to say something to you. That doesn't mean things will always continue in that direction. They continue in that direction. If we as a congregation commit, we are going to be committed to being healthy leaders, to praying for the leaders that God gives us, and for keeping a high expectation of what our leadership should be. It's the only way that that health continues. And my prayer is until the day Jesus comes back or chooses to fold this church, this church will be known as a church with healthy leaders that do hard things and lead in hard directions. That's my prayer. So as I challenge us today, I want to go back to Jesus because contrary to this world's belief, the model for leadership is not found in a self-help book. It's not found on TED Talks. It's not found in whoever else, whatever the latest teaching is. The best model for leadership in all of creation is Jesus. It's Jesus because he created all of this. He keeps all of this running. And he lived a life that shows us what it's like to be a humble servant leader in the world and to raise up disciples out of that. So I want to go back to John chapter 10. We looked at this passage a few weeks ago, John chapter 10, verse 14 and 15. We talked about the different I am statements that Jesus made about himself, and this is one of those. John chapter 10, verse 14 and 15. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. So a couple weeks ago when we looked at this, we went in depth about Jesus as our shepherd. We saw the God who shepherds us as a flock. But doesn't just do that, shepherds us individually. That he calls us out, he leads us in, he takes us to the places he wants us to go. Remember, he talked about being the gate for the sheep the one who protects the flock from the enemy, the one who keeps us close together, keeps us into unity. And on top of that, he tells us later in the same chapter that his sheep hear his voice and recognize it. He's so good to speak to us and to speak to us in a way that we can understand. We know it's him. We know what he's saying. We know what we should do. We know how to obey him. We know how to follow him. He is a good shepherd to us. He's not just a good shepherd. He is the best possible shepherd we can have. Our world has plenty of shepherds who would love for you to follow them. You have to keep your eyes on Jesus first and foremost, or they will lead you astray. Human beings are broken. We're all broken. Sooner or later, we're going to make mistakes. Sooner or later, we're going to lead in the wrong direction. Jesus never, ever leads in a wrong direction. We see that direction in his word. We experience it through the Holy Spirit in our heart. And as we follow him, then he honors us as we obey. So what I want to do is I want to look at good biblical leadership from 1 Peter. So you flip to the right, because one of Jesus' first apostles, the apostle Peter, is now writing this letter towards the end of his life. And here's what happened. They followed Jesus all those years, and then Jesus dies on the cross. He's resurrected from the dead. Jesus takes those original 11 core leaders and through the power of the Holy Spirit they become the bedrocks for the early church 
They begin to spread the gospel all over the place, and God uses them to establish churches all over the world, and we're the beneficiaries of that now, thousands of years later. And now here's what takes place. Peter is coming to the end of his life. He can see on the horizon that his time is short. And one of the big transitions the early church is going through right in this period of time is the people who first saw Jesus, the people who touched him, who heard him teach, who followed him, those people are passing away. And now the early church is starting to wrestle with what is it like to continue the things of Scripture, the things the Holy Spirit has revealed, the things that Jesus wanted us to know, now that those original leaders are passing away. The blessing of that was it motivated people like Paul and Peter and John to write down what we have in the New Testament. That's how the New Testament came about. They wanted to make sure the things they had heard about Jesus and experienced with him were written down and passed down to that next set of disciples so they could have that firsthand witness as well. Peter does that. Peter was the source for the Gospel of Mark. If you didn't know that, Mark writes the Gospel of Mark, but Peter is the source for that. So everything that Mark understood about Jesus, he got from Peter, sitting down from him, hearing his heart, and Peter passes that on. Also, he writes that we have First and Second Peter to encourage those churches that he had been ministering to. And I want you to see what he says in chapter 5 as he begins to think about what do the next generation of leaders need to lead the church well. Listen to what he says here. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and as a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Now before Peter started following Jesus, before he knew Jesus, Peter was a fisherman. He grew up on the Sea of Galilee. It was his entire life. He knew what it was like to go out on that water almost every single day. He knew what it was like to rig a sail and to tie a knot and how to use the rudder and steer the ship. He knew where the fish were in that lake. He knew where they didn't bite. He knew what time of day that they could come to the surface and that he could fish for them. He knew what it was like when the wind blew. He knew what it was like when a storm was coming. He knew how to take shelter. He knew it all. That was him, backwards and forwards. That was his life. And then Jesus one day walks up on that same shore and says to him, come follow me. And Peter leaves his nets. And he chooses not to be a fisherman again. And then after the resurrection, the Holy Spirit falls on Peter and becomes this pillar for the early church. And it's interesting. What did he know best? He knew best fishing. But when it comes to thinking about leadership, what does he tell them to do? He doesn't say, go, go catch fish, go throughout the nets. What does he say? He says, shepherd the flock of which God has made you an elder. Now, where did he get that idea? Where did that model, that picture of ministry came from? I think it came from Jesus, who said to Peter, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. And how did Peter know that was going to be an effective model for leadership? Because he had lived it. He had lived Jesus coming after him when he had betrayed him, when he had denied him before Pilate and that crowd. He came and restored him in John 21. Remember that? Peter come, Jesus comes and restores Peter and then chooses to use him again. He had experienced what it means to be shepherded by Jesus. And so he tells these young followers, be shepherds of God's flock that are under your care, watching over them, 
not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, and not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. The bedrock of Peter's admonition for leadership is this, the humility of Jesus. The humility of Jesus. If Christmas is about anything, it shows the humility of Jesus. Jesus setting aside his priorities and his agenda to take on human flesh and to be born, not just to come into the world as a human, but to be an incredibly vulnerable human as a baby, entrusting himself to the plan of God, the people of God, to be shepherded until the time came for his ministry to be forwarded. The humility of Jesus is the bedrock on which we stand. So what I want to ask you to do is just take a few notes in your bulletin there. You've got your bulletin in front of you. And what I want to do is I want to make sure we understand the call on our life to shepherd like Jesus. And I'm not just talking to the elders and deacons within our congregation. I'm also talking to the next generation of leaders. Because some of you, God is going to raise up to be worship leaders in the church. Some of you, God is going to be raised up to be pastors and ministers, children's ministers, all those different things. But some of you are not going to be called to be raised up to work in a church. You're going to be called to go out into the school system and be go out to the medical field and be able to go into politics and into all kinds of different things as men and women who walk with Jesus and who can take good shepherding biblical leadership into those places as well. As a church, listen, we can't draw back from those places. We can't retreat from politics. We can't retreat from the public school system. We can't retreat from the places that look dark and that it looks like the enemy has uh, more than a foothold but has a handhold. We can't pull back from those places. We have to go into those places with passion. And we'll never do it unless we hear from Jesus and we obey him. So as the next generation of leaders too, who, by the way, I already see you leading. I already seen God use you. I already see you stand up on our stage and let the Lord use you. I already see in our youth ministry and hear what the Lord's doing through you. I'm telling you, adults, I've been teaching your youth for the last couple months, and sometimes I ask them questions, and they say things that I know at 14 I did not know and understand about Jesus. I promise. And I'm just astounded at what the Lord is doing on your young people. So I want to speak to you as one who's been entrusted with leadership and as an elder in this church. The call to shepherd like Jesus, first thing is this. We shepherds God's flock, not our flock. We shepherd God's flock, not our flock. I love you guys. I genuinely do. I love standing at the back door and shaking your hand when you come in. I love eating dinner with you on Wednesday nights. I love the Christmas program that's coming up and how we're going to get eat good food together. I love that. I love our Easter celebrations. I love being in your homes. I love being in your hospital rooms. I love standing at the graveside with your family and being able to minister to you. I love all that. And, and here's the temptation that can come with that. When, when you serve the Lord that long in the same congregation, you can feel like, you know, these are, these are my people. Sue, these are my people. 
These are my people. Not only that, here's the other temptation, and leaders, be careful with this. You can start to say, this is my church. This is not my church. It's never been Matt Walton's church. And you are your people who I get to share life with, but you're not my people. Uh, you're Jesus' people. You're Jesus' sheep. Jesus is the one who leads his sheep. I feel like I'm the one with the stick in the back to make sure if you kind of stray over there, I'm like, no, 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 no follow that way. Jesus is going like, ah, go that way, go that way, go that way. He's the one that leads us. We just serve. Listen, we shepherd God's church, God's people, not our people. Because what happens if we have that mentality, we start taking ownership. And we start looking at your life and we start trying to control you and manipulate you and tell you how to live your life instead of telling you to follow Jesus. That's not the call on my life. My call is to preach the word of God to you and to set an example for you. And then trust God and the Holy Spirit to lead you in the direction that he has for you. I love you, but you're not my people. You're Jesus' people. Number two, the call to shepherd Jesus is this. We shepherd our flock because we're willing, not because we have to. Not because we have to. Here's the other trap that we can fall into as leaders. We can open the doors, we can light the candles, we can decorate, we can make sure the mics work, we can come practice with the team, we can make sure the screens are up, we can make sure the heat's on, the lights are on, we can vacuum the floors, we can do those things, and we can start to think, you know what? If I don't do this, nobody's going to do it. You know, I better keep teaching kids Sunday school because if I don't, uh, nobody's going to do it. I better keep working with the youth because, you know, if I don't, Griffin's not having anybody on Sunday school next Sunday morning. I, I, I better step up and do that. Well, here's the trick. If Jesus tells you to serve, you need to go serve. Go serve. But you can't keep serving because you're worried that nobody else will serve. Every single leader, sooner or later, you got to have a break. You got to rest. You got to recharge. You got to hand the reins over to somebody else. You got to say, listen, sometimes you need to take it on. And sometimes, here's what happens because we won't step back from leadership. The next generation of leaders never have a chance to step into those roles. Well, what if they make mistakes? Yeah, you made mistakes. We were okay with that. Like, we survived. The church is still here, it's still here. If we don't step away, the next generation can't step in. And if we don't rest, here's what we start to believe. We start to believe it's all on our shoulders, and it's never all on our shoulders. Listen to me. It's all on Jesus' shoulders. And if what's going on at Trinity with our programs and our building and all those things is not in Jesus' hands and not on his shoulders, it's going to fall apart pretty soon. It has to be in Jesus' hands. It has to be under his control. And the best way to do that is to actually rest when God tells you to rest. I take a day off. Tuesdays are my day off. I take a day off. Sometimes you call me on Tuesday. It's not the end of the world. But I rest on Tuesdays. I put on my overalls. I sleep late. I work out. I go for a run. I eat what I want to. I hang out with my kids. I have a good time on Tuesdays. I like Tuesdays. It's my day off. I know a lot of pastors won't take their day off. I learned a long time ago. I take my day off. Because when I put on my overalls and I sleep in, I go for a run and I eat on Tuesday, it helps me have energy to do all of this all the rest of the week. Because there's some weeks it gets really heavy. Will does it get heavy some weeks? Like Christmas when you have to learn hymns in a, in a language you didn't grow up with? It gets kind of heavy, doesn't it? 
Oh, yeah. It gets heavy. And you need to be able to be, be strong and be rested into those seasons when it gets heavy. And the way to do that is you take time away. I really appreciate some of our leaders who have taken the, the challenge to just step away and let somebody else lead. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. But it's the best way to make sure leadership is not just good now, but it's good in 30 years. That's the goal. Leadership is good in 30 years. And number three, they call a shepherd like Jesus. We do not shepherd for what we can get out of it, but what we can give to others. I just want you to know it's a privilege to be able to serve you. I love it. I love being able to serve you guys. I appreciate the paycheck that, that you give me and my wife and my family. You just voted on that a couple weeks ago, so you know exactly what you pay me. But I want you to know this. I, I don't do it for a paycheck. I don't. I tell our leadership all the time. I would preach for free. I love preaching. I, this gets me up in the morning. I would preach for free. What you pay me for is the other five days of the week, I promise. But listen, if I wasn't the pastor of this church, guess which church I would attend? I'd attend this church. Because I love you. Because you mean that much to me. Because I love to see what the Lord's doing in you. And Peter says this. He says, listen, we don't serve out of gain, out of what we can gain. Because I just want to challenge you. If you're signing up to serve for what the paycheck is or for gain, sooner or later, it will not be enough. It will not be enough. Listen, you don't pay me enough for some of the hard nights that we have to deal with as elders. You don't pay me enough. You don't pay me enough. Some of the meetings that we have to have, some of the early mornings, some of the late nights, some of the hospital rooms that we have to be in, some of the times we have to cancel families. Listen, there's no amount of money that would make me go through any of that. The only thing that makes me go through that is the call of Jesus on my life. Money's not the bottom line. But praise God for the gifts he gives us. Number four, we shepherd as servants and not as lords or bosses. I think one of the reasons that our world seems so out of whack right now and so broken in so many areas is because the only model of leadership we're seeing from the world right now is be in full control, maintain and protect power at all costs, manipulate people to get the end goal, whatever you need, climb the ladder no matter what. It doesn't matter who you hurt or betray on the way up as long as you get to the top. That's what we're seeing. And then we wonder why there's so much brokenness all around us. Jesus was the exact opposite. Jesus stepped down. Jesus took the road nobody else wanted. Jesus did the hard work that nobody wanted to do. Jesus suffered in a way nobody else could suffer. We don't shepherd the body of Christ with control. We shepherd together. Here's one of the real blessings of being the Evangelical Presbyterian Church is we have shared leadership that I actually sit down in a room with 12 other elders and we pray and we seek the Lord's face together. And one of the biggest blessings I have as a pastor is I've had those men look me in the eye over the last 13 years and say, we're not going to do that. Like, that's a good idea. But like Corey was talking about earlier, we have tons of good ideas as people. We don't need good ideas. We need God ideas. Good ideas take a lot of energy, they take a lot of work, they take a lot of resources, and then they fall apart because it wasn't from God. 
when you have a God idea, he makes it work, even when resources are low or help is low or whatever else is. He brings it to fruition. He brings it together. I've been astounded to see him rally us around some good God ideas over the last year. I've seen you jump on it. I've seen people jump on it. I've seen the Lord bless it. That's what we need. We need more God ideas. And all the God ideas can't come from me. They can't come from our staff. We get to share that with deacons and elders. I love shared leadership. I will never, by God's grace, be in a church where I get to make all the calls by myself. Now, maybe maybe the Lord's calling some pastors to do that. Maybe. I am not one of them. And the reason is, I know me. Like, I know what happens when I have all the control, and when I have all the power, and when I have all the ideas. I've seen where that, that, that racetrack ends, and it's just a crash in the wall. I love being able to sit down with other men and focus and pray and hear the Lord's voice together and let him give us good God ideas so we can carry him out. Listen, we don't rule as bosses. We rule as shepherds and servants. Number five. And elders and deacons, I'm especially speaking to you. You ready? We set the tone and the example for this church. We do. We set the tone and the example for this church. I want to make a statement. And I hope you hear this if you hear nothing else in the sermon. Apart from a miracle, apart from the absolute intervention of God, you as a congregation will become what your leadership is. Not what we appear to be. You will become what your leadership actually is. We reproduce We make disciples out of what we are. We reproduce what we are, not what we teach, not what we hope for, not what we command. We actually reproduce what we are. And if our hearts are not pure before the Lord, if our hearts are not passionate towards the Lord, if our hearts are not submitted to the Lord, are not humble before the Lord, don't have a servant mentality, whatever else it is, it will not reflect in the congregation either. So I learned a long time ago, if I see gossip in a congregation, or if I see pride in a congregation, or I see disunity in a congregation, or I see impurity in a congregation, if I see that kind of stuff, I don't preach more sermons about gossip and impurity and pride. I start looking in the mirror and asking myself hard questions about whether or not there is pride, impurity, and those kind of things in my heart first. Because apart from a miracle... You'll become what I am and what your elders are and what your deacons are and what your staff are. You will become what we model for you. Now, why do I say apart from a miracle? Because praise God, there are times that God in his sovereignty gets a hold of churches even when they have wicked leadership. You can look at it in Scripture. There were revivals that took place in Israel, even when the king was wicked. There were revivals in Judah, even when the kings were wicked. When Saul was not walking in the way that honored the Lord, he gets a hold of David and those followers of David. The Lord still does that, but it tends to be the exception and not the rule. That's why I say, apart from a miracle, apart from a miracle, you're going to become what we are. Do you understand why I say, you as a congregation, you have to keep the standard high for your leadership. When you're praying and you're thinking about during the nominating time, who should be our leaders? When you pray and you think about who you should vote for and elect as your leaders, you have to keep the standard way up here. Don't lower it. Keep it up here. 
Because what happens is if you keep the standard high, good, godly leaders will jump to, to, to cross it and to get over it. Keep the standard high. And number six, the call to shepherd like Jesus. We serve as those who will be rewarded. We serve as those who will be rewarded. The rewards that you give us are huge. Thank you for the recognition that you give us. Thank you for a paycheck. Thank you for the blessings that you do for us. But here's the greatest reward anyone will ever face as a leader. That is the reward of Jesus. There's going to come a day where we'll stand before Jesus. And he'll reward us according to our actions. And he'll record us according to our leadership. Again, those nights get late. Those days get long. Those conversations get hard. Those funerals are gut-wrenching. The only thing that motivates me is the love of Jesus and looking forward to that reward one day that Jesus called for us as elders. Our praise team is going to come. They're going to lead us in a final song. We have a chance to worship and respond to him. I want to pray for us as they come up and ask the Lord to continue to bless all of our leadership here at Trinity. So I want to encourage you to join me in that prayer. Let's pray together in faith. Think about your elders and deacons, your staff, whoever the Lord brings to mind. I want you to visualize that person as we pray and ask the Lord to pour out his freshness and his blessing on all of those folks. So let's pray together. Father God, we come. And we thank you for each one of these deacons that you've raised up for us, Lord. Thank you for how they serve behind the scenes. How they make sure buildings get painted. And mulch gets laid down. Doors are unlocked. Heat's on. Pews are clean. Bathrooms are straight, Lord. Thank you for the hours that they put in work on this campus. Most of which we'll just never notice or see unless it's done wrong. Father God, thank you for our elders. God, they make hard decisions to lead us well. They pray for us, Lord. They minister to us. They call us on the phone. They send us cards. They visit us when we're sick. Father, they pray against the enemy's attacks on us. And we bless them, Lord Jesus. Lord, thank you for our staff. How they give such careful attention to each area of the church. Father, we see your hand on them. We see the fruit that's being bore through them. Father, give us new strategies. Give us new God ideas to lead the congregation in the way you want us to go. Father, bless us and encourage us. And Father, day, when the days get long, Father, I pray you'll renew us with the Holy Spirit. Remind us of your love for us. Empower our love for you. And Father, help us to serve well. Father, thank you for good leadership. May this church forever be blessed with it until the day you return or the day you close the doors. And we trust you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.